0: Psalm 46 um, this morning. Um, Can I just say, if you're a man here this morning, this is a day where you don't have to do the washing, the hoovering, the cooking, or the dishes, or any of them things. It's a day off, man. Amen? Amen? I'm not looking up at all because I see all the female eyes just penetrating um, to the core this morning. So Psalm 46 this morning. Father's Day is a celebration, um, a public holiday of honoring fathers and indeed the celebration of fatherhood. It is, in essence, a celebration of all men, whether we're fathers or we're not fathers. It's, it's, it's at the very core of it, it's it's celebrating the powerful influence of men in society. Do you hear that? You have an impact on society. Your life influences your family, your, your friends, your workplaces. And that's why it was initially made a public holiday because they recognized that men made a, had a powerful impact on society. For, the influence of men in society for good was so recognized, in fact, by the American government at the time. In 1972, Father's Day became a national holiday, a time where they actually recognized that so much that it was a day off for people and it was President Nixon who signed that actually in the law. Now, there's many different stories behind it in many different nations, but just to give you an example, they recognize how important you as men are in society. And not, don't be ashamed of that. I don't think you don't meet up to that standard. We all as men struggle in, in all and many different areas, but also, also don't underestimate who you are and what God created you to be. Fathers, in essence, are to be your protection, if you like, a covering over their homes, over their childrens, And listen, not all men, not all fathers have been perfect or are perfect. And some have perhaps done more harm than good. And maybe you know that this morning. But by and by, take good men out of society and it will suffer. Take good men out of your home, out of your marriage, out of your schools, out of your workplaces. Make no mistake about it, society will suffer. Isn't that right? Society will suffer. So men, we're speaking to everybody this morning, but I want to give it a wee push towards men because I think as men we need to recognize that we may fail, we may not exactly know what to do in every season of our lives, of our children's lives, but regardless, we need to be men and be there and be present. Now in my time, I've seen men run about the world Um, shoulders out, heads up, and they portray to the world that they have it all sorted out. And I followed some of these men as a young man and ended up shipwrecked. But from my come to faith, I have observed another type of man, a man who isn't afraid to run to the Father, a man who isn't afraid to call out upon the Lord and to serve God. And I found myself following that example. And what I found is that not only have, have I learned something about that, I've actually grown as a man myself because I've stopped letting on that I've got it all sorted out and I've learned to rely on the Father's covering. And that's what that is this morning. We're looking at the title, is The Father's Covering. And we see this in many places throughout Scripture, but I was drawn to Psalm 46 and it's here we see the Father's covering. And I want to say this to, to you this morning. The Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. Now, within each of you today, there's a longing, there's a desire to be seen and loved by your father. Now, you could be sitting here this morning, you might know your father, or your father has maybe done an awful harm, or whatever that would be for you this morning, but you need to acknowledge that within you, God has placed this this void. This desire to be recognized, to be seen and loved by your father. Not give everything you wanted. Not to be spoiled, not to do, but to be seen and loved by your father. And he, de- he desires to, to pour into your life. Now, I am a father to five kids, and two of them you, many you've never met. One of them's 25, another one's 21. And over the years, I have tried to pour my wee bit of wisdom. I empathize wee bit of wisdom in their life. And I have seen them squander much of that. And at times I've seen them crash. And I thought to myself, how much more does the Father try to pour into your life and my life? And yet at times we we just don't listen the way we ought. and, And there's times we crash, isn't there? And that's the normality of it. But by and by, the Father wants to speak to you this morning. Let us read this morning Psalm 46 then. This psalm was written by a people known as the sons of Korah. Um, we're not going to look into that much today, but know this. Korah was a man who um, led a rebellion against Aaron and Moses. We, we read about it, and it wasn't good. They, they believed that they were equal, that they were just as holy as these men were, and they, they, they stood against their leadership and challenged it just to put it lightly, and the, res- the result of that was that God came and totally annihilated and wiped the whole lot of them out. We're told that their, their, their selves, their families, their, their livestock and their children, everything was swallowed up on the ground. But if we read through the scripture, we see that all of a sudden the sons of Korah reappear again because God's a gracious God. But these men know what it is to rebel, to not listen to God, and these men know what it is to, rela- to rely on God. And this is what they write, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fail, And God will help her at the break of day. Now nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought to the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. And he burns the shields with fire. And in verse 10 he says, be still and know that I am God. So, Father, we pray this morning that, Lord, as we, Lord, consider, Lord, who you are and, Lord, how you seek to cover us as a father and, Lord, how you, God, are the perfect example. Lord, you never fail. God, you, you never let us down. Lord, you are the perfect father. Lord, a father that many of us long to be, God, but, Lord, we thank you that we can look to you and, Lord, glean from you Lord, we thank you, Lord, even when we, Lord, disregard your word at times. And, Lord Christ, that, Lord, you still are there to guide and to cover and to lift and to restore. So, Father, I pray for each heart this morning. Lord, that there, if there is a longing heart that's somewhat lost this morning, with, with that desire for the Father to be, just to be accepted and to be seen, God, that, Lord, you would meet that need this morning in each of our hearts. That, Lord, we would know that, Lord God, you see us. God, that you recognize us and, Lord, you love us. And the Lord, you're there for us, and you are working to work all things together for your good. So which we just pray you would bless each of us. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And in Psalm 46, what I see here is this psalmist has, he's developed, if you like, a strong faith and understanding of who God was. And it didn't just come through theology. It came through experiences. And you need to look more into the sons of Kor to, to understand the depth of their suffering. But we know by his writing that this This son of Korah was a man of conviction, and he was a man of faith. And and what our society lacks today, perhaps, is that. Men who have conviction across our land. We live very much in an atheistic time. Like never before we're seeing that confessed. Don't believe. Don't believe. Don't believe. That's constantly poured in our media. In fact, it's constantly, every day, being spoke about. And we've got men who've got conviction, but absolutely no substance to their conviction. They're just going with the, with the flow and they're perhaps dealing out of emotions or leading out of emotions in their heart. But this, this man had conviction. He was a man who was familiar with the Father's covering over his life. And the first point I want to just bring out what I see within this man is how he come to rely and know about the Father's covering was this. He, this man had approved God for himself in his life. And that's the, thought, that's the first point for you this morning, to prove God in your life. Because having a confession and a profession, and that, that's one thing, but when it really comes to the place where we find ourselves alone, and nobody can help, and everything's broken, that's how we prove our faith. Isn't that right? It's when everything falls to bits. And if you read about the sons of Korah, everything fell, fell to bits for them. Everything. They, they lost not only did they lose everything, they were excommunicated, if you like. God used them as an example, not to, 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 to make themselves as God and equal as God. So we need to prove God. That, that, we, that means that we know that what God says about himself is true for you and I. It's not what the preacher says. It's not what my wife says. But what do I know about God to be true in my life? We need to prove God, and this man did it. And I believe we need to do the same now this psalmist had a deep faith and it was through his faith that he pleased God. But, but I just feel we need to be reminded this morning that do you think God's pleased with you this morning? Now there's a question. Um, David, could I ask you just maybe open the, the door a wee bit, just let a bit more went through. But, but there's a question we need to consider. Is God pleased with you this morning? How do you answer that? And for many of us it is, well, I don't think so. I don't think so, <clears throat> but but the Father has given us a covering that we don't need to to walk in that, and this is important because the Bible says that in Christ um, we are seen, we are accepted, and we're we're loved, and it's out of this overflow of forgiveness in our lives that we serve the Lord. It's not um, out of works, and the Hebrew writer says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God." It's not our works he's interested in. It's simply having faith in God, faith in Christ that makes the Heavenly Father pleased with you. Do you think you're the only person in this room that makes mistakes? Do you think you're the only person that struggles to be a parent, to to know what to do when things don't work out the way you planned? And and that's what we have to recognize, that we have to realize that the covering that we walk in is, listen, it's not about how good we are or can be, but it's what the Father has done for us. And through our faith, it says he's pleased with us. The psalmist didn't just have a confession. He had an encounter with God, and that makes all the difference. He proved God for himself. He believed that God existed, and he believed that God was coming again. And as a result, he lived to that end. And that's what we need to do, men. We need to live to that end, to be an example This man's faith in God caused him to live in such a way that it testified that Christ was coming again. And it's a kind of faith that society benefits from because it helps them be better men, better women. It's a kind of faith that influences others for good. And when we rub shoulders with men that live well for God, it causes us to live a wee bit better too, doesn't it? And as a result, our society, our home benefits from it. So this man proved God. And he tells us of his experience. Listen to what he says. God is our refuge and strength. Do you think he just said that? Or did he prove that for himself? Because we can say God is our refuge and God is our strength. But maybe not understand the depth of what we're saying. But this man understood what it was to be swallowed up by life. To be swallowed up by this world. He understood what it was to come into that place where All the things that he heard about God for years, he began to prove for himself. The word refuge can be translated as a shelter. It speaks of hope or a place of trust. So when evil came to the psalmist's door, if you like, he he learned to turn towards the Lord. He says, I found refuge. I found hope and I found safety. And that's what he understood about the father's covering. The psalmist learned to prove God for himself. He learned to run towards him in the day of trouble, not away. And that's a challenge, church, because you and I both know when when things really go bad, there's a tendency within us. There's something within us that that causes us to either blame him and run the other road or just run the other road. There's something in us. And the psalmist says in in verse 7, But God is our fortress. Now, does this saying? What does fortress mean? Well, it was a literal place in Israel. It's likened to a cliff edge, if you can imagine, a place of de- defense, a high fort. So what, what what we see is that the enemy would be unable to attack those who built their home on the side of these mountains, these cliff edges. It was a place of safety. And as a result, they would have soared over their enemy and found victory in the cliff. So what the psalmist is initially saying, he says, when when we feel defeated... When we have no fight left in us, God just steps in and becomes our high place. He becomes our defense. He found that to be true in his life. He had to prove it before he could confess it with the conviction that he has here. God is our refuge and our fortress. That's what we are told and that's what many of us say. But if you find yourself in that place where you feel defeated, the enemy is having its way with you, listen, you need to trust the Father and his covering. Because your life is in 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 that cliff. It's in that cliff edge. And the enemy can't reach you. Yes, it makes much noise. It throws many arrows. And it's it's fearful. And it's worrying. But you're safe. According to the scriptures. Because he's your fortress. And he causes his people to soar where his enemy. But listen, here's the thing. We do not only point others to Christ for refuge. Because I've seen myself doing this in my earlier years. Making great promises for these people. That they can find in Christ. But I hadn't truly found them. For myself, it was talk. And I too had to learn to prove God, and, and very much still in that process, as many of you are. But the psalmist says, Look, God is our refuge and strength, and He's a very present help in trouble. I want you to notice the word are, O U R, in that. God is our strength. The word are is important. Why is it important? Because, listen, men, specifically this morning, we must have our own convictions. We must have our own faith. We must have our own hiding place in Christ. It's not enough to, to put the shoulders out and crunch the fists. We will never fight this world and win with our own strength. We, we need to be people of conviction, people who have true faith that carries us outside of the assembly and a place where we run to to hide and, and to find that place of safety. Because we influence our families and our communities through our actions. And if there's one thing I've learned about myself is this. I have spoken many words that led to nothing. Just talk. But the words that I have spoken with deep conviction have, have more often than not led to action. Would that be true for you? When there's a deep conviction, when I really believe what it is that I'm saying, that there's actions. God is our, our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. And church, if we get this right, everything else will fall into place. Our strength will fail us. Our strength will fail us. There will be times where we will need help and not know really where to get it. There will be seasons where our family and our children will need help both as children and as adults and we need to show them where to find it and they will find it in the exact same place where we find it. Either the bottle, the tablet, the world or the Lord. That's, either, that's one of the multiple places that we find in the world. We need to show them where to find it. Because I've noticed something about myself and, I guess, many others like me. That when things go wrong, God can sometimes be the last place we turn to. We try here, we try there, we try this and we try that. You see, that's how we prove God. Then when we have exhausted every avenue and our backs are against the, lo- the wall, we fall down and look up. While all we need to do at the very start is fall down and look up. We don't have to exhaust ourselves and try every other avenue. But we have to find that out to be true for ourselves. We can preach it and fine, go on with it. But if we really want to walk in that cover, and we need to learn to prove God for ourselves and begin to look up to him. Church, we need to get this right. God is a very present help. He's not distant. He feels distant but, at times. But the word, we go over the word, not by what we feel. Because I have experienced the presence of God in tangible ways. And then the very next day, I feel backslidden. You know what I mean. It's emotionalism. It's feelings. It's our flesh. It's not the word of God. It's our flesh. It's the nature of man to turn to everyone and everything else but God. And the sons of Korah. They know what it is to be broken and afflicted by God. Their forefather rebelled. He turned against God. He ran to everybody else. He gathered a mob and he challenged the, the very thing that God had given him, the, the leadership to look after him, that covering. In other words, he went to war with God and disregarded everything and he found himself destroyed by the world that he lived in. And we, 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 read, we read that that in, in Psalm 46 we read, which is the fruit of this brokenness. This man sadly had to live a life that was racked before he could write these words. He had to know what it was to go into that place of destruction, of rebellion against God, and his life suffered greatly. But it was through this brokenness that he learned to trust God, and he's seen how false this world was and wicked it was and powerless it was. And, and I pray that you don't have to experience that for yourself, that you, that you hear the calling and you walk in it. But for some of you, you know what it is to be in this place of absolute rebellion against God, and you found this brokenness in your life. And you forgot that you can be restored, and you have forgotten that you can be healed, and that God can take your life and restore it, because he did it for the sons of Korah. And that's what we're reading this morning. Their father led them into a place of sin, and the heavenly father punished them as any earthly father would do. But the minute that they turned to the Lord for refuge, what happened? God restores. And God will restore your life and our life, my life. Because that's the father's covering. We'll not get away with, with behaving badly. And neither would our children. That would be poor parenting. But we need to see that the father's covering is always there for our good. We read that these men learned to run to God. Even when they'd gotten things very wrong in their past. Amen. Very wrong in their past. They prove God. So I'm going to move on. That's the first observation. Learn to prove God. That was probably the longest one. The second thing that I see about this man and how he walked in the covenant of the father is this. He was eternally minded. Church, our hope is not in this world. Do you know when I first come to faith some 20 years ago, that was often spoke about in church. I recall the older ones, that were probably 40 then, I was 20, and I remember them, this world is not our home, our hope is not here, we're pressing on, we're pilgrims. And you know, is there something in that? Have we lost our eternally mindset? Eternal mindset. I'm not saying you have, I'm saying be careful we haven't. Our hope is not in this world. And the psalmist understood this. Look at verse 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. In other words, when everything else just falls to bits, we will not fear. Church, be careful we don't teach our our young that we are going to be here for eternity. Because if if we give all our time to this world, and we neglect God, and we neglect family, and all them important things, the children in our life will do the same. Make no mistake about it. We must teach our children that life is at best short, yeah, it's short. Notice what the psalmist says, we will not fear though the earth gives, gives way, sorry. Now, there's many interpretations of this, but the one I'm going to tell you is, I haven't found it in a commentary, but I've experienced it. Several times I found myself at a deathbed with a man, with men, and I can tell you, I've seen the world, this earth, give way in ways like I never experienced before. All of a sudden the very place where they're stood all their lives sure and strong has moving and they're about to go. You see? You see, we will not fear when the earth gives way. It speaks of death, it speaks about this life, this life that's not eternal. In this world that's not eternal, sorry. We we must live with eternity in mind. And by doing so, we're mind the children in our life. And others around us of this truth that we're not here forever now listen in case we need reminded the bible says your life what is it then it says it's just a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes away how many brethren once sat in this church and praised the lord and now in glory how many brethren once sat in the glen road that are no longer with us how many family members that we once sat with are no longer with us and how many times we look in the mirror and as Paul says very quickly, we turn our backs and forget what we've just seen. Because we don't want to admit that there's a few extra wrinkles. Now some of you don't have to worry about that yet. When you get to Brian's age and that sort of age, you have to start worrying about them things. You get a wee bit older. And Peter says this, for all flashes like grass. Now we need to believe this and remember this. It's not just something that sounds poetic. And all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. The world fears death. Perhaps you fear death. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is when I, I confronted death when I come to faith. But the world doesn't like to talk about it. So it works away and it tries to forget about it and it fears it. But let us not forget about it because it helps us redeem the time and to live as such. We will not fear though the earth gives way, the sons of Korah say. He was eternally minded and he lived to that end. If you're not eternally minded, you will not live to that end. He lived with the coming Messiah in mind as Savior and Judge. That's what it is to be eternally minded. To be understand that any moment you could be taken or he could come. Let me just read a few scriptures for you that you already know. But just a way of remembrance and we're moving on. I'm not going to break them down on any level. But Second Peter 3 says this. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly and as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a bang and the earth that we live on at present and everything on it will be judged. And since everything around us is going to be destroyed, what holy and godly life should we live? Looking forward to the day and hurrying it along. That word hurrying it along simply means earnestly desiring it to come. So Peter here we see was also eternally minded. And he says this in verse 13. Now listen. We are looking forward to the next paycheck. To the next car. To to the big holiday. We're looking forward to. No. Listen. Because that's the things that the enemy will deceive us with. And we know it to be true. We are looking forward to the new heavens. To the new earth that he has promised us. It's a world that is going to be filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Men, living for God will influence the young people in your life more than you will ever realize. Take it from a boy that didn't have a great experience of a father who I love now and God's restored but then I scanned the pews of churches looking for an example of a father figure and I don't think one person that church would ever understood that or knew that now I'm telling you that this morning because men you need to realize the value in your life the calling on your life you don't see it many of us look at the waste and thank God for them without them the house would burn down but listen man I wasn't looking for a a mother figure. I was looking for a man who could show me how to do it. How to do it. How to be consistent. How to follow through. You see, men and women, discern it for yourself, but I'm speaking specifically, men, you influence the young people in your life, whether you're kids or not, more than you realize. Don't get caught up in this present because you will teach them to do the same. Yes, we have to balance, but make sure it's a balance and it's not off balance. If we are eternally minded, we will be found living to that end, amen? Living to that end. Now, I have something Something I want to prompt to say, and I'm moving on to our last point and we're out of here. Something I feel prompted to say, and it's this, and I promise you, I have no inside knowledge of anything. It mightn't mean anything to any of you, many of you, but I believe it's for somebody Somebody has to hear this this morning. The Lord pressed it on my heart. And it's this. If you're at war with your family or otherwise. Church, listen. If you're at war with your family or otherwise. Go in the strength of God. In his covering. And seek to put it right. If your life is at present. Filled with impurities. Seek to purify it. In the strength of God. Humble yourself men. God will restore and strengthen and quicken. But don't continue on at war. Be a peacemaker. I can assure you the day that the Lord saved you. You were at war with him. You were at war. You did not want to be saved. You did not want to come. You came kicking and screaming like many of us. But he, you were at war with God. But he chased after you and made peace with you. And you're here this morning because why? You turned the war into peace. And there's people here, I believe this is for somebody, there's war in your house and you've the power to make peace. You need to make peace. So make every effort to be found living peaceful and pure and blameless in a sight. So learn to prove God was our first thought. Walk in that covering. Be eternally minded. And then the third point is this. Your life matters your life matters. If I've ever seen a generation now that is just self-destruction, is flowing over It's because they don't realize that their life matters. They're being told there's no purpose, there's no God, there's nothing. Just live and die. What a hopeless confession to be spoken over a generation. But listen, your life matters, it makes a difference. Man, your life makes a difference. It's the reason Father's Day is celebrated in the first place. You influence society and family more than you ever will know or I will know. It's why we are told to make every effort to live right and to be blameless. Because how we live, God knows will teach others how to live. Now, we're closing with this. Do you really think your life can teach anybody anything? Probably not in our own meds. Do you think Noah thought his life could teach anything? Probably not. He probably felt like a complete and utter crazy man and loner in the generation in which he lived and died. We are told that Noah, he taught us persistence, didn't he? In spite of all the atheism and the the difficulties, mockings, Noah continued to walk onto the covering of God the Father. Noah endured scoffing and mockings that I'm sure at times even doubt, but he never gave up. Church, your persistence teaches others not to give up for one example. What about Jonah? Jonah taught us obedience and many other things, but he also taught us that God's way is much easier, that God knows better. He taught us that running from God is not worth the hassle. We can do it the easy way and be blessed. What about Job? Well, he taught us patience. Job was a righteous man, yet he suffered greatly. His friends accused him, turned against him, sat beside him and questioned the hidden sin in his life. In fact, they had more hidden sin in their lives than he did. His wife, bless her, probably thought she was doing him a good turn, encouraged him to curse God and die. He mourned like no other man mourned. And some of us know how to mourn. And some of us are mourning. But yet he waited on God and he proved God for himself, regardless of what was going on. Job waited, and he trusted, and he waited, and God showed up and healed his suffering, and he restored that which the locust had eaten in his life. Now, God promises this to all his people. And maybe you're here this morning, sin has absolutely wrecked your life, wrecked your family, wrecked your marriage, wrecked your home, wrecked everything. I don't know. I know that sin wrecks. But God says, I will restore That which sin has taken from you. And here's the thing about patience. The things that are worth waiting for require much patience. Job's living taught us patience. Now lastly, Moses taught us boldness. Moses was afraid of the calling of God that he placed in his life. Many men are run from the calling of being men. How many men have run from relationships when they found out there was a pregnancy? How many men have left fatherless children because they just felt it easier? Perhaps deep, deep within them, they were so afraid of what was happening that the easiest thing for them to do was run. I'm telling you, thousands and thousands of men have done that today. Not perhaps out of anything other than fear within them. They'll never admit it. And here we see a man, Moses, was so afraid of his own weaknesses and inabilities that they completely consumed him. And all he could see was how inadequate or how weak that he was within himself. And God said to him, listen, Moses, I've called you and I'm sending you to set my people free. But the next verse says this. But listen, it says, I'm going with you, man, be bold. Don't let on, you know, everything, but be bold and live for God. Moses taught us that boldness is the way to be, to trust God. And he proved God in his own life. So church, your life makes a difference. It influences your communities in ways that you can't even see. It teaches your children in your life to love God. It teaches them persistence, even when things go against them. It teaches them obedience. It teaches them patience and boldness, to refuse to allow fear in their life to hold them back. Amen. you see the the importance of men, to teach your kids not to turn back, even when we're rejected, to keep going. And the key to living well and trusting God is, well, there's one verse that I just think sums a lot of it up. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Something lovely about that. The holy place where the Most High dwells. And then in verse 10 it says, But be still and know that I am God. And we're close with this. One sentence left. It's not a coincidence that everyone is too busy today. Sure it's not. And the Father says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and walk in the covering that I have given you. Be still in the presence of God and we will find ourselves being persistent. We'll find ourselves walking in obedience, not through works, but through the overflow. We'll find ourselves with godly patience. Oh boy, you ever wonder why fits of anger come when you're not in a good place? We haven't got that covering, we're walking in the flesh.